Friends, it's great to see so many of you here. Uh, good morning again and welcome uh, to Rack Evangelical. My name is Douglas. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my great pleasure to be continuing through the book of Joshua uh, together. We're going to be looking at uh, 10 verses from chapter 5 this morning, verses 2 to 12. So you'd be really well served to turn there in your Bibles now. It's right at the beginning of the Bible. It's the sixth book there. And if you need a Bible, we do have them uh, at the back for you on the the red table. And if you really don't have a Bible, uh, please take that as our gift to you. Friends, at the, the beginning of 2008, I was ready and willing to marry my now wife, uh, Laura. We had dated for about a year, and I'd asked her to marry her on January the 1st, and I was just really, really ready to marry her. As we began thinking about a wedding and planning and speaking to family and friends and relatives, we realized it's not that simple. We had family living in different countries, and there were also uh, several family members who were teachers, so they had to wait till a semester break. And so our kind of three-month plan became a six-month plan, and then quickly, sadly, but in God's providence, it became a 12-month plan. After much deliberation, we set the date at the 20th of December, 2008, 354 days after I proposed and 353 days after what I was hoping. But do you know what? This was such a sweet season, and God was totally in control. We trusted his hand through it all, and through his call to wait, we waited. He was doing something during this time, and we simply had to trust him. I think we are going to see something of that in our passage Today, the people are called to stop and they're called to wait. We ended chapter 4 with the people of God, the Israelites, having miraculously crossed the river Jordan. And what we'll see this morning and continue to see throughout all of Scripture, all the way to Jesus and how he had to die on the cross, it is only through God's hand that his people are saved. He is the faithful one. He makes a way. He protects and he commands. And all of this is done in his good time, not ours, regardless of the circumstances. Friends, look with me at verse 1 in chapter 5 from last time. It is clear that the Lord has made a way. As Rahab said in chapter 2, all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. It's through chapter 5, verse 1, that everything we're about to look at can take place. The enemy's heart and the enemy's spirit has melted away. Because of God, he has made a way. Only he can do this, friends, and we're just going to see that over and over again in our text and all the way through this book and all the way through Scripture. Having crossed the Jordan, you know, in normal circumstances, if an army reaches the border of another land, as we've seen this week, those on the receiving end are ready and waiting. The other army sits ready to wage war, but not here. Perhaps the many men of war and the Israelites were ready and restless. Perhaps they were eager and excited, but we will see that God says, wait. As we begin to look at 
chapter 5 today, verses 2 to 12, I think the main point of these verses, and therefore the main point of our time together, is no matter your pain or provision, God is faithful. So trust him. No matter your pain or provision, God is faithful. So trust him. Uh, Let's read the the passage together. Turn to Joshua 5 with me now if you're not there already. And let me read that for us. Beginning at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Friends, as we look at the text, I think it divides in two pretty clearly with a large first point in verses 2 to 9 and a smaller second point in verses 10 to 12. So these are just going to form our our two points for our time together. Our first point found in verses 2 to 9 is a covenant sign, a covenant sign. Let's begin with point one. We have reached the point of fulfillment. It was 40 years in the waiting. God has kept His promises, and now again we see that he speaks. The Lord God will speak twice in our our verses today, you'll see. And the first is in verse 2. He speaks to Joshua and he says, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. If you skip with me forward in verses 4, 5, and 6, we then see the reasons why. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they came out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet 
all the people who were born on this way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the reason why. In verses 2 and 3, we see something that is becoming common in Joshua. Even after a few weeks, we can see it. God gives a simple request, and then we see the immediate echo of this. Joshua fulfilling the requirements. Again, here, they're done word for word, right to the letter. So we have the Israelites at this crucial and vulnerable part of the journey. But despite this, the Lord stops. He stops them in their tracks and calls on Joshua to circumcise the sons of Israel. That is all the men there. We're going to come back to the phrase a second time uh, in a second. The action here is all happening, friends, at one location. We see what is referred to with different names. Both are significant, but probably only one would look good on a modern road sign. Gilgal is what will be referred to as in verse 9 and in other Old Testament locations. But here in verse 3, we see it's called Gibeath Haraloth. This means hill of the foreskins. Not a catchy or particularly pleasant name, but there we go. That's what it was. If nothing else, I'm sure it was memorable for the men there that day. In verses 4 to 7, we get into some of the, the hows and the whys of this second circumcision. The, the men of war, as the text says, that is all those of fighting age. So all those that were over 20 when the people had left Egypt. Those men are all now dead. 40 years we have seen this, this covenant sign withheld from the people of God. Circumcision, to, to be clear, was the cutting off of a baby's foreskin and was born on the eighth day after birth as God established in Genesis 17 verses 9 to 14. It's where we see God establishing his covenant with Abraham. This is where it began and it was a sign that someone was a member of the covenant community, one that was part of God's people. This was a very serious thing. There was something that was to be done for every male and in every generation. But for nearly 40 years, they had not done so. Throughout this, this whole episode in the wilderness, despite the warnings Moses received, not one male had been circumcised apart from those related to Caleb or Joshua. Just a side note, that's because the promise has been given specifically to those two men. And we see that fulfilled here in verse 7. We just see no suggestion that Joshua circumcised his own family. For they have already received this sign. There are perhaps various reasons why the males have been circumcised, uh, had not been circumcised in the wilderness. Maybe it was because the people were always on the move. And it would have been too difficult or too uncomfortable that's just not true. We see that sometimes they stop for up to a year. So I just don't think that's the case. Perhaps maybe it was out of further rebellion that even in the wilderness, the people did still not think it was necessary. 
We know that Abraham and Moses were commanded to do so as the covenant sign. And so this is something they would have taken seriously. But maybe, maybe it was because God has withheld it for this time. We see that this is his covenant sign. It is at his initiation that we see in verse 2. Joshua is commanded to circumcise them all. I think that this was the case. Skip ahead to to verse 6 and we see why this was happening. This delay, the wilderness and the withdrawal were all part of and because of disobedience. Because of a rejection of God. With, With God's initiation, we see that this rejection has become restoration. It is he that commands this reinstitution of this covenant symbol. God's promises were true to Abraham and to Moses. And despite rebellion and even punishment for that particular wilderness generation, God would keep his word to his people. And he would still make a way for them to reach the land that he had promised. Friends, despite the the pain and uh, the circumstances, God is faithful. This is the same Uh, For us here today, some of you I know are suffering physically this morning. Some of you are in constant pain. For some, this is a week of grief or uncertainty. Whether it is war that you're worried about or paying for your own food this week, God is faithful. Some of you feel that perhaps maybe you failed as husbands or wives or as parents or as friends or as workers this week you have let somebody down and you arrive just tired from your working week and all that you've been through friends let me remind you today that God knows God sees and that he has made a way despite your sin and your suffering God is faithful This generation in our text saw a significant shift from the last. They had crossed over the Jordan as we miraculously saw. They had entered the promised land and now they were to receive this old sign of the covenant. What we know set them apart from all the other people. And something that we uh, will see happens before they can enjoy the family meal together at Passover. Jeremiah 29 shows us that there were There were other people, there were other tribes who practiced uh, this ritual. But that that had no significance before God. As it's the heart, friends, it is your heart. It was the heart of the Israelite people that is most important. You may be familiar with the phrase circumcision of the heart. And we see it alluded to in Jeremiah and then fully confirmed in Romans 2. This symbolizes a heart that is given in devotion to God and a heart that is separated from the world because of this. Friend, let me ask you, does that describe your life? To be circumcised was to have your whole life, beginning on the eighth day, given to God and brought to him in devotion. To be described as uncircumcised was devastating. We read about uncircumcised ears, uncircumcised lips, and uncircumcised trees in the Old Testament. All of these things are incredibly negative. 
and implying there was a a lack of hearing, a a lack of speaking, and a a lack of bearing fruit. Yes, there's a, a physical aspect to this in our text, as many, many Israelite men are finding out, but also we are meant to see and read a spiritual and heart aspect to this, one that does not fully come to fulfillment until Christ comes as the the physical circumcision passes away into history and the focus is on the heart. Christian, God wants your whole heart. That is what he cares about. Back in the text, verse 6 reminds us that all of this is happening because of disobedience, because of a rejection of God. Friends, this is the same in our lives. We have each turned away from God in our sin and in our rebellion. And that from birth, we are separated from God. That it's only in His initiation do we have the opportunity to to understand and accept that God has made a way. He has made a way for us to be reconciled, to be made right with Him through grace and through what Christ did on the cross. Without Christ, this, friends, for you and for me is completely impossible. Without him, this is not for you. Through Christ, we are to see that the the doors to God's covenant people have been thrown open. That this this covenant sign is no longer to be circumcision that is outward, but one that is of the heart as people from every tribe and every tongue and every people receive the gift of faith through Christ. I do think that we now see this in a, in a one-time public design and display of devotion that each believer makes to the world as we pass through the waters of baptism. As Michael did last week, and as Lord willing, many more will do again here, we see publicly what has happened in the heart of a believer and how their whole life is given in devotion to God. Friends, as a, as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been chosen. You, yes, you have been set apart through the sovereign grace of God. That covenant sign is now shown through baptism. We're not saved through baptism, but it's now the public display of, of a new reality in the life of a believer. It says to the universe that, that this person is a Christian, declares that to the world. They have a new heart. They were dead and now they are alive and now they join the people of God, not by birthright or family connection, but through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're not a Christian here today and maybe in your life circumstances, even as you arrived this morning, you might feel like you're walking in a wilderness You do not know and understand who God is or what I'm talking about or what he does or what the Bible says. But I want to tell you that since birth, you have been separated from him due to your sin and your rebellion. On your own out there in the world doing whatever you do every week, there is nothing you can do to be reconciled or made right with God. And that shockingly, right now, you stand as an enemy to God if you have not accepted 
Jesus Christ. There is no one, friends, that is neutral in this. But I know and I trust that God has brought you here this morning so that you can hear about Jesus' death on the cross, that where he took the punishment that you deserve and died a death that you should die so that so many sinners like me and like you can come to faith. Friends, in this passage, we have to see that it's God who deserves the praise and only he has made a way. Friends, it's God that provides, it's God that protects, and it's God that prepares. I hope that Sasha is pleased with my alliteration this morning. I worked very hard on that. After this rebellion, friends, we are seeing God choosing to keep his promises, to not destroy the people of Israel. We're seeing God causing them to pause and to devote their lives through this, frankly, unusual and special sign at a time that shows them that no matter your position or your pain, God deserves your praise. This is the the same for the Israelites as they arrive in enemy territory, like in our text. And it's the same for you today. While you live in Al-Date, or maybe you work in Al-Hamra, or perhaps you're studying in Nakheel right now. Let me ask you, do you spend more time complaining about your circumstances than you do praising the God who arranged them? Do you spend more time complaining about your circumstances than you do praising the God who arranged them? Friends, it is only by His grace and His mercy that we even have breath this morning, let alone that we can read His word and praise His holy name. He is in complete control of everything. When we consider something awful that has happened or something sad that we hear about, we must not forget about the cross. It is at the cross that we see God's perfect love displayed, his holiness declared, and his mercy delivered. We cannot move beyond the cross when we consider the pain and the suffering of this world and the effects of sin on it. Nothing compares to the cross and no one compares to Jesus. I think it's important that in our opening verses we see the people of God delivered and then we see the people of God set apart and we see them united. Five times in the opening four verses of our text we see the word all. In verse four we read all the males, all the men of war. In verse five we read all the people and then all the people again. And in verse six we read all the nation had perished. They were a people united in their disobedience, united in their punishment, and a people united in their restoration. The generation had been punished, and now the the next would come to enjoy this land, this land flowing with milk and honey together, a, a land plentiful and lush, these words carrying almost visceral qualities for us, milk and honey. One that just sounds beautiful, heavenly, almost. More importantly, the the unity of Israel was important. And we see in verse 8 that the circumcision of the whole nation was finished. This was a chapter closing and another chapter beginning. The wilderness was finished. The wandering was over. The rest 
was ready. God had prepared a way. Friends, some of you need reminding of this this morning. In all your, your strivings and your stresses, God has provided a rest for you. I don't think we'll, we'll fully know this until eternity. Gathering with your church today on the Lord's Day, I hope, is a tiny glimpse of that, a beautiful thing. There is a heavenly rest coming when our strivings cease and our pains stop. And there, because of Christ, God has promised to each one of us, to all who believe, many sinners, promised an eternal rest. We know that from his word and from our lives together that he keeps his promises. It's so encouraging uh, that so many of you are here this morning. If you're a Christian, then your life is a demonstration to the person next to you, the person behind you, that God keeps his promises. And God made a way for vile sinners, rebels, enemies of him, and that he will deliver us from death and destruction. And of this, we can be sure, friends, on the final judgment day. As one of the pastors here, thank you so much for being here, gathering with us this morning. Look around, see those around you, remember their testimonies, bring to mind all that the Lord has done in bringing them to the point that you know them today. If you don't know them, listen, ask, share, talk together about who God is and share what he has done, not only in your life, but who he is and what only he could do among us and in your life specifically. Christian, take heart that there is nothing in this life that can separate us from the love of God. He has made a way and he will keep you. Back in our text that we see the men were still in very real pain and so they remain at this place i think that's fair enough as we get to the end of verse 9 with this covenant sign established and god's promises fulfilled we read a declaration from the lord about his people today i have rolled away the reproach of egypt from you this is a potentially strange phrase this reproach well i think it can be best explained to us as the the kind of mockery, the disdain of Egypt on Israel. For the past 40 years, Egypt had looked down on Israel. After all that they had said about their God and what he would do and what he would provide for them, all this talk of flowing with milk and honey, yet they had just been walking around the desert and were homeless for years. Has God abandoned them? Has God just left them? Is their God real? Or is he actually going to keep his promises. But now, to the people, as he's demonstrated and shown for year after year, he now says, see what I have done. See where I have brought you and what I have done. It is finished. And I have rolled it away. This is what the word Gilgal actually sounds like. It's the Hebrew for roll, galal. God is drawing a line here. God has made away. He declares that the punishment is finished. He has done it. That all that the Israelites endured has been rolled away. 
beautifully in our, our passage today. I think the Israelites would have been acutely aware of some key parallels going on in, in this restoration. Parallels from 40 years before, a sure sign that this time was finished, that they had arrived. In the lead up to this point, we saw that in Numbers 14, two spies were sent out. And a few weeks ago in Joshua 2, we saw that two spies were also sent out. Then in Exodus 4, we see Moses circumcise his son before the Exodus. And we've just looked at how all the men were circumcised after the Exodus. In Exodus 2, we see Moses and the Israelites celebrate the Passover before the Exodus. And now in Joshua 5, we're about to see them celebrate the Passover after the Exodus. The people of Israel would have known. They would have heard these stories of Egypt passed down, passed down from one generation. Here they are 40 years later with their grandfathers and fathers passing away, leaving them this chosen people for this moment, carrying forward these promises of God. And now as they enter the land with the echoes of the, the Pentateuch, we, like they did, are meant to look back at the promises of God and now see them fulfilled. This brings us to our shorter second point, verses 10 to 12. Second point is a redemption celebration. A redemption celebration. So with the, the covenant restored and their redemption secured, the people for the first time in 38 years, stopped to share the Passover meal. What a special moment this was for them. The men and women, they knew what this meant. They knew this moment had arrived. They too had been delivered as they stopped, praying that they might be a faithful generation. Out on the, the plains of Jericho, as this momentous day drew to a close, echoes of the outskirts of Egypt were pulsing through this promised people. The location is important. The timing is important. The preparation is important. All of this showing that this was a people unlike the generation before that knew and understood and would celebrate God's faithfulness and his deliverance. They had this celebration, but why why is it important? Why the Passover? The people of Israel are looking back and they're remembering together what God has done, but they're also looking forward, knowing that their annual sacrifice was still required and that one day, and they had no idea when, there would be an ultimate sacrifice that would come. How long, O oh Lord? They looked back as while they were in Egypt, even in their rebellion and idolatry, God not only delivered them through the water, but he provided a way for them to be saved through the sacrifice of a sinless, spotless lamb. God had said that he would kill all the firstborn babies in Egypt, and this included the Israelites. But God, but God. God made a way. And in Exodus 12, we see how God tells the Israelites to choose a spotless lamb. Keep it safe for four days and then sacrifice it. As the blood of this lamb was poured out and was placed on the doorposts of their houses, this blood was a sign for them that God would see the sacrifice 
would see the blood that had been poured out and would then pass over these houses. He made a way. Here we have this this beautiful picture of salvation being secured through the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. It's at this point that we see the people in their camp at Gilgal. Again, in Joshua, we see times and places, names given. These are here to show that this happened. But also where we read again that this was a real event with real people in real places worshipping a real God. Friends, this is not a mythical story. This really happened. God is real. So we see the people and their, their ceremony. It began on the 10th day of the month. And right here on the 14th day of the month, just four days later, the lamb was sacrificed. The blood poured out and the flat unleavened bread was baked and eaten. So we have the people of God first set apart from the world through their circumcision, now celebrate the covenant God has made with his people and the redemption he has provided through uniting together to share this meal. No, they're not taking it at home. They're not taking it on a Zoom call or as part of their, their home group or just on their own individually. They took it together as a community, as a body. This was a corporate event. God had made a way for them as a people. They were united as a people. They were circumcised together now, and now they celebrated and remembered together in unity as the people of God. To enjoy the family meal, you had to have been separated from the world. Friends, I hope you're starting to hear some of what is going on here? I hope again you're, you're hearing these echoes. You're hearing the significance, but also the shadows of how this will all ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the one who is described as the Lamb of God in John 1. And from Romans 3 we know, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Here on the the plains of Jericho, probably brought through the wilderness by the shepherds and the priests, we see that the people had to find their own lambs, that a perfect lamb had to be sought and killed, and the blood poured out for sacrifice and celebration. But friends, for me and for you, we know, and the the books of Romans and Hebrews confirm, that God has provided his own lamb. God has provided his own son. It is his blood that is poured out as a propitiation, as a, a means of satisfying the wrath of God due to sin and rebellion. The same was true for the Israelites as it is for us. Propitiate here and propitiate in our verse, in, sorry, in, from the quote from Romans, is a, a biblical word. It means to win or regain the favor of God. It's a, a form of appeasement, of providing something that satisfies the wrath of God. Friends, our sin, mine and yours, produces something. 
Our sin produces wages. When you work, you receive wages. You receive something in return. Well, our sin produces wages. And the Bible is clear that the wages of our sin is death. It's not a a smacked hand or a withholding of pocket money, all good discipline techniques, but the wages of sin is death. This is what we have each earned. Friends, cannot forget there is a price for your sin and somebody has to pay. Somebody had to pay. Maybe you're 12 years old this morning and you sit here and you think, Pastor Doug, what have I done wrong? I'm 12 years old. What are you talking about? The issue is in your actions. But let me tell you, those are just the outworking of what the real issue is. What is going on in your heart. Every day you rebel against God. You do not worship him as you wake up. Or you do not live for him every minute at school or at work. And you do not honor him in your words and all your deeds. Friends, since birth, we have rebelled in sin against God. We cannot forget that God is God. He is holy. He is perfect. And he would not be God if sin and rebellion was just allowed and was okay. It has to be punished. And so on the one hand, we have God's majesty and his holiness. And on the other hand, we have his love and his mercy. Friends, we cannot separate these things. In Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, we see all of this, this mystery worked out by our triune God. God's wrath is satisfied through Christ's sacrifice so that the requirements of God's justice are met. It is through The sovereign plan of God that you and me in our sinful state receive in that instant of faith as soon as we believe the righteousness of our Redeemer. Our state instantly changes. You move from death to life. And this means that on that final judgment day when we will all, we will all stand before God. God will look upon your helpless state And he will see the righteousness, the perfection of Christ's blood that has been poured out for you and has washed you white as snow. In our last two verses, verses 11 and 12, the final fulfillment and closing of this chapter is complete. With verses like Exodus 16 in mind and as the people have now reached habitable land and they are at the border of the land of Canaan. The Lord has provided for them. Even in their rebellion, he was kind and generous to them to keep them. But now they have reached this land of plenty, this promised land. No doubt there were some that although grateful to God, they were also tired of the manna. They so longed for the promised land and all that they would be able to finally taste and see. I mentioned last time about uh, traveling to see our family Uh, Often a a long and uncomfortable drive from England to Scotland. And at the end, and still a a family favorite now, my my grandmother would be waiting with tea and toast. Seems funny now that a, a simple cup of tea and a slice of toast meant so much. But after a long journey, that meant that we knew 
we had arrived. We knew that the anticipation of that tea and toast had been realized. It's the same in verse 11. Following the Passover in verse 10, the people make just quick and easy snacks from the fruit of the land. Unleavened cakes and parched grain. They had their tea and toast, if you will, their grab-and-go snack. But the weight of what this meant was huge. They had arrived. They were there. It would be more time for feasting and enjoying this promised land, but they had arrived. And all because, regardless of your pain or provision, friends, God is faithful. In verse 12, we read that the manna ceased just the next day. The manna was gone, but God's provision continued. They would eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. What we see here from Exodus to Canaan with covenant renewal and redemption celebration is just a foreshadowing. It's just a glimpse into a reality that we already know. We too are a rebellious people that have turned away from God. We too have been brought safely and delivered, each one of you, from certain destruction through Jesus Christ. We also have been brought through the water as the people of God, being brought into the family of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is demonstrated to the world through our public testimony here following not a a physical circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart. We too are called to celebrate our redemption together as we will do in just a few minutes by stopping to praise God for the blood that was poured out so that in the future, friends, as we look forward, we know that we are free and that also for us, God has provided a final rest just across the river. The new Jerusalem our promised land, and eternity with him. How mighty and gracious is our God that he has done this for all who trust in the name of Jesus Christ. If you do not know him this morning, God has made a way for you. What once was a sign and a celebration for this small tribe, this small Jewish people out on the plains of Jericho, through Jesus Christ, has been opened To you this morning, people from every tongue and tribe and nation, so that many sinners would be saved, not just annually, but completely and finally. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God has made a way for many to be saved, and it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 